hey, you know what? We hear a lot of cool stories, like a lot of really cool stories about how our services impact people. Let's share those. And so what we did was we brought in 10, 15 people and just interviewed them. And it started out as an interview series. We put their faces on billboards and we used that campaign of empowering you. Um, and then, you know, it was so powerful and so impactful for me from that point forward, I really was focused on how do we make sure that in everything we do, we somehow get that message out. listening to How I Scaled My Aesthetic Clinic, the podcast where the most high-performing owners of aesthetic clinics and med spas from all over the world tell their stories and share the strategies and insights that allowed them to grow their business from often humble beginnings to soaring success. If you've ever tried to build a clinic, you'll know that it takes a lot more than just being a great doctor or practitioner, and it helps when you learn from the best in the industry. So join me, Miriam Shaviv, host and director of content at Brainstorm Digital, as we explore how aesthetic clinic owners just like you have developed the mindset, skills, and experience to transform their businesses and how you can do the same. Let's jump in. Today's podcast is a little meta because we're talking about how to use podcasts to build your clinic's brand and strengthen your relationship with your patients. Today's guest is Carrie Brinton, founder of Valais Medical Spas, the largest chain of aesthetic clinics in Utah. It's also the number one provider of Botox, laser hair removal, and body sculpting services in the state. And Carrie is also founder of the National Institute of Medical Aesthetics, which offers certification and continuing medical education in aesthetics across the USA. She's passionate about empowering women to fulfill their passion and potential, and sees that as central to her clinic's mission. And that's also the mission of her podcast, which has very little to do with beauty. It's called She's Simply Amazing and tells the stories of regular women who've overcome incredible challenges and found creative ways to live a huge life. In today's episode, we discuss how her podcast came about, how it helps her patients and the impact it's had on her clinics. Plus, we'll talk about how she's built such a successful chain of clinics and how she's turned empowering women from a slogan to a principle that infuses everything her business does. Let's dive in. So Carrie, welcome to the podcast today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's my pleasure. And this all feels a little meta because the first thing that we're going to be talking about on our podcast is your podcast. All right, let's do it. <laughs> so you launched the podcast not that long ago, actually, in August called She's Simply Amazing. Yeah. Um, so why did you launch the podcast? Um, you know, honestly, it was our effort to try and share the, the experience that we have as like a team in our medical spa, the experience that we have every day working with our clients. So to explain that, you know, I've been in this business for 16 years now, quite a long time. And so over those 16 years, I've had what I consider a real blessing, but just a huge opportunity to work with primarily women, um, in both employees, clients. We also own a school. So on the school side, we have students. And the cool experience has been kind of twofold. One, getting to hear everybody's incredible life stories. You hear just the most amazing stories about people's lives, whether it's overcoming things, accomplishing things, supporting each other, whatever it is. 
you know, being in these kind of proximities, you have the opportunity to hear those, which is a really cool experience. And then the other piece of it is it's such a joy and a blessing to have somewhere to go every day where you get to surround yourself with positivity and with happy women and with people that are building you up and supporting you. And so it's been a great experience for me and my team over the last 16 years to have that. And so the podcast was really an effort to try and share that feeling, share those stories. So it's so a let's, 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 let's take a little step back first. We'll, okay. we'll dig into that deeper, definitely. But first of all, um, let's talk about the uniqueness of your podcast. Um, okay. You really have two types of episodes. So maybe just let's give everyone a little bit of a, an overview of what, of what you're actually trying to accomplish. What, what are the two different types of, of episodes that you have? Um, well, really, they're just stories. So it's kind of, well, we, I guess we do have two stories. We have our main episode is stories of women, right? And it has nothing to do with beauty at all, at all. We don't even talk about beauty. It's just simply women that I find interesting in a variety of ways. It's people that have overcome challenges, people that have accomplished a lot, just people that do interesting things with their time. We've had artists, we've had authors, we've had athletes, um, we've had a lot of people that have overcome illness or death in, of loved ones, things like that. And, and that those are our main episodes. And then we add in these little bonus episodes that are just five minute snippets and they're just education about beauty. So I didn't want to create a podcast about beauty, but yet a lot of our listeners are are interested in that. So we do these little quick five minute beauty tips. We have, um, she's actually our vice president that records them and she just does fun, entertaining just kind of like, what are your key questions about beauty? So what are the you know misconceptions about Botox or chemical peels? And those are just five minute little bonus episodes that we throw well, in. The core episodes are really just the, the life stories interviewed yeah. with insp- women who have essentially inspired you. Yeah, totally. There's really no specific topic going into an episode. It's tell me about yourself. Tell me about your life. And inevitably we come up with so many interesting um pieces of wisdom that I think are really, really valuable for women of all ages. So I guess the key question, this, this podcast is really for mm-hmm. owners of other aesthetic clinics and med spas. So I guess right. the key question that they're all going to be asking first is that is the point they already really pinpointed, which is that it has nothing to do with beauty. Nothing. So as, as it's still a method of promoting your own business though. So it is, well, it is a little bit, a little it is bit. a little bit. How do you see it working with the business? Um, you know, I'm going to be totally honest. It, it had nothing. I mean, it has to do with the business in that it is sharing the experience of the business, but it is, the intent behind it is really not promotion. Now I will tell you, I've had a lot of people tell me, oh, I heard your podcast and it made me want to come into your spa. So it has that effect for sure. Um, and, and we are trying to highlight the culture that we create in our business. That's a big part of who we are is our culture. But I think the reason that it goes so well and it has done so well is that there it's not me telling a story and trying to slide in advertising. It purely the intent is to build up, inspire, empower women and share with them um, the experience that we have every day. So it, it really is like a very pure intent of so not marketing. As, as a marketer, actually, I would see it actually fulfilling two marketing functions. First of all, nurture, right? Yeah. That very often people think that absolutely everything that they have to produce is has to be directly related to the business. Um, but there's a, a strong case to be made, which I, it's not even a case to be made. To me, it's just absolutely obvious that if you want to form a real connection with people, um, you need to talk to them about issues which are important to them, not always be selling to them. 
Um, yeah. But just talk about things that are relevant to them. And if you're targeting women, um, then these stories are going to be, then it first of all, it's a way of drawing in those people. And second of all, it goes very much towards a culture of nurture where it's not all about sales, 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 which is one thing that I do think that many clinics get really wrong. Would you agree? I, I totally agree. I mean, I think this business, if you're going to be successful in it, you have to recognize that even though it is a retail business, it's a people business first. And it's a people business in that people are buying relationships. You know, when they come in and they're they're purchasing laser hair removal packages or Botox, yes, there's a product go, that goes along with it, but primarily what they're buying is that relationship with you. And they're buying that experience of coming into your clinic. And so I agree that if you want to be long-term, long-term successful in this industry, um, you have to put that first. You have to put that first and recognize that if you build a relationship, you build the trust, you create a space that um, women, again, I know there's men, but that's our primary target audience. But if, if you build a space where women want to be, then they will be loyal to you. They will want to come back. They won't, they won't leave you just because someone else is having a Botox party or running cheaper laser hair removal. It's very much about the relationship building because I'm sure that when they listen to you, they are forming a bond with you because they, yeah, they feel probably feel that you're a simpatico, um, that, that your yeah. values are their values, which is really, really important. Um, yeah. And actually the values that you're talking about here are it's empowering women. And I noticed that that's also all over your website. So is that... Mm -hmm a big theme for you in the yeah that is our motto and you know five or six years ago it started out as just a marketing tagline that we were running for an individual campaign and what we found is that it resonated not only with our clients but really internally it resonated with our employees and we as we dove into what does that really mean we realized like that is what our business is all about is empowering women through confidence through career opportunities through relationships through um, just positive interactions with our team, um, with each other. That's what empowerment is, is giving you the confidence to go out and be great, do great, you know, experience greatness. And so it went from a marketing tagline to really it's the heart and soul of who we are. And so it's, it's our motto. It is on our website. It's the core of our podcast. Um, but I, yes, I, it's think really interesting I think that actually lots of clinics do have similar kind of taglines, but it just stays as a tagline. They don't manage to really integrate it with the essence yeah. of the business. And again, mm -hmm. I, 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 we'll talk later about how it does integrate with everything you do in the business. But I do think that the podcast is a way of almost really bringing that to life. Yeah, it is. And they're just amazing stories of women who have been empowered by others or who have empowered themselves. But it, it is. And I, I just have to say that I think like you're right. A lot, you know, our, our, our industry as a whole has shifted from flash and sexy in the early days to um, more educational and teaching people about these services. Whereas now people are, are fairly well-versed or I would say at least well enough versed in these services that we can shift our marketing. And I, I do agree that a lot of places are shifting to this message of culture and empowerment, but I have to say that you have to be so sincere about it because if it doesn't show through when people come in and have the experience in your clinic, it is just going to land flat as a marketing tagline, you know, and I think consumers in this space are now educated enough that they can see the difference. So it has to bleed through the way your, your team functions, the way you treat your team, um, the messaging that you give your client when they walk through the door, how you sell versus not sell, sell versus consult. So it has to be 
it's like you said, quite a hard thing to bring to life when you think about it. Empowering women um, <laughs> yeah. it sounds great on paper, but actually, that that's quite a big ask. So to actually make your yeah. business evolve around that is actually not that easy. No, and and we've made huge investments, huge financial investments in our staff first. We spent a lot of years primarily focusing on our team, and that's through training. That's through emotional counseling support for our team members. That's through a lot of team events. We we put a huge amount of investment into, you know, benefits and good pay and time off and 401ks and all of those things because- Empowering so women isn't just for the patients, it's your no, No, and I think it has to start with your staff because they have to get that message. If they don't feel that message, if they don't feel the reality of it, how are they going to communicate it to your clients? And they're the ones that communicate it to your clients. You know, you're going to put it on your marketing. Yes, but really it's felt when your clients come through your door. And so you're not going to be able to do that. If you're, if your team is not 100% feeling that you're committed from the top down to that, not just message, but that's how you operate your business. Okay, so I really want to get back later to this idea of how do you bring this this um, this this message, this tagline to life. But let's focus just for a second on the podcast. So why did you decide on that format specifically? I guess a lot of people, it's kind of ironic because anyone listening to this is by definition listening to a podcast, but I guess <laughs> that a lot of clinic owners will probably think, well, who isn't to a podcast? Why a podcast? So let me turn that to you. Why a podcast of all the formats that you could have used? Um, I believe that a podcast can be really personal. I mean, if you think about when you listen to a podcast for the most part, especially if I'm looking at like who our target demographic is, you're exercising, you're cleaning your house, you're driving, you're whatever, you know, you're very personal and you're in a mode of, I want to learn. I want to, um, discover new things or I want to be entertained. And so I think when people are in listening to podcasts, they're probably in the right frame of mind to digest your message a little bit better. And it is not salesy. I mean, that's the great thing about podcasts to date. They're not super salesy. You know, you do have ads in them, of course, but um, so I, I just feel like the podcast is a way to just, it feels very personal. I think when you're listening to them. And so it's a great the way format to just, lend itself to relationship building. Isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. And it's just me and another person chatting, just talking, um, there's no agenda. I'm not driving the conversation in any way other than tell me about that. Tell me what you learned from that. And then maybe we'll dive into a specific you know, message that they have to share. So it's very personal. So how impactful has it actually been on the business? You know, cause at the end of the day, you know, you won't carry on doing it if it doesn't have some kind of impact on the business. So what kind of impact have you felt that it's had? Well, I, I'll step back and I say, I would, I would keep doing it, even if it doesn't have anything to do with the business. Um, and I'll tell you why, because like I said, I've been in this for 16 years and we, we have a huge business. We have lots of clinics um, and I have an amazing, incredible team of people that can run the day to day for our company. So I'm in a very fortunate position where I don't have to necessarily be the one driving the sales. And so I feel very lucky that at this point, my role gets to be to continue to develop that culture. And so I'm not looking at my podcast to see what kind of financial or business impact it has. What I'm looking for is when I get the feedback, the reviews, the messages, people stopping in my office, what I'm looking for is did this message resonate with you? Did it make you feel better? I definitely believe that it has an impact on the financial side of our business and keeps our message strong out in our market. Um, but I'm not really measuring it, to be honest with you. And I'm not really looking for that. So this podcast, like I said, it truly purely is, um, 
you know, I mean, it really is just, I want to get that message out to women. And I, and I know exactly what you're saying. Like not everybody's in a position where they can take 15 hours out of their week and dedicate it to just sharing a happy message. <laughs> yeah, but that is the point that, uh, you know, CEOs who reach a, or company owners who reach a certain level can, right. can focus on that kind of brand, yeah. especially it's brand building what you're doing in a way. Totally. Totally. Yeah. But it, it definitely and, and the great, you know, what, what, what every clinic owner tells us that they really want is time to do the things that they really find meaningful. And essentially that's what you found time to do. Exactly. Yeah, that is, this is meaningful for me. So I'm excited about it. So what have been the most powerful episodes that you've done? What are the most amazing stories that, that you've actually featured? Wow. That's hard. Um, our very first episode was actually with one of our own injectors. She's been with us for a third, I'm going to say 13 years now, and she's actually in the middle of battling stage four um, colorectal cancer, but it is actually metastasized to her lungs. So she is an amazing presence. She's an amazing person. Her name is Sherry Kwai. Uh, she, her entire message was about how knowledge is knowledge gives you strength, knowledge gives you power. And she shared a message about all of the research she's done into her own treatment that ultimately led her to, to a treatment down in Mexico um, that right now she's kind of awaiting to see the results. So that one I think is probably the most powerful just because she lives what she's teaching. Um, I've had an athlete who is actually also one of our, she's also one of our team members. We don't just do team members, but these two happen to be. How do you actually pick the people that you, that you interview? you know, a lot of it's word of mouth. Like a lot of people I interview say, oh, you need to interview this lady. Um, sometimes I find them on social media. If I feel like they share a good message that matches with what we're doing, but, um, you know, we had this, one of my, our employees, her name's Amy. We had her, she's an athlete. She runs 50 and hundred mile ultra marathons. And her message was just about how to make tiny little adjustments in life to keep going. And, you know, she talked about it in, in the context of, a marathon, an ultra marathon, but it's a message that applies to life of how do I just make these tiny little adjustments so that I can keep going through the pain. And so, so do I you love, find, do, you, do you find these interviews empowering in some way? Oh my gosh. It's my favorite part of life right now. <laughs> I love it. I, I keep telling people it's like my own personal therapy. I get to listen to these women and Sometimes I feel guilty. It's a little bit selfish because I'm like, okay, well, what about this little issue I'm dealing with? And I get their lessons from it. So I find it personally, extremely educational, empowering. And I, I think that message gets out to women because it's like, we need someone to relate to, right? We need to see not just movie stars, not just Uber influencers, not just the super successful business people. We need to see people that are a little more on our scale so that we can say, I can stretch just a little bit and do what she did or what he did, you know? And so I think that's my aim is say, these are amazing well, people. It's also interesting in the context of the aesthetic world where a lot of, um, a lot of the focus is on celebrity, celebrity lifestyle, celebrity looks and yeah. perfect beauty. Yeah. This is every woman really. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to do is like, there's no standard. There's no one way to be amazing. There's no level you have to hit before you qualify as amazing. Like you right now, whatever you're doing, you can be amazing. And if you feel stuck, just look at, you know, the person that maybe is like one level, one step further ahead than you and try and emulate just a little bit. I think for me, I get overwhelmed looking at people that are so 
so out there. And I just think I, I can't do that. That's too much for me, you know, and I'm a fairly successful person, but even I get overwhelmed. And so it's, it's better for me personally, when I look at just my friend, just the girl next door and say, what does she do that I can implement in my life? And what's the reaction from patients? What kind of reactions do you get? Oh, they love it. They love it. I had a lady stop in my office the other day and she just knocked on my door and said, I just want you to know that I am so grateful for this, the space that you've created both here and on your podcast where you can feel comfortable and you can learn and be educated in a very accepting, uplifting, empowering environment. So I don't want to get too technical here because technically okay. the least exciting part of everything. I, I probably won't be able to answer it. But. <laughs> but let's get, but people listening will want to know how long does it take you to produce each episode? Who is actually doing I'm assuming you're just doing like me, you're just doing the interviews and someone else yeah. is doing the technical part. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, I mean, I would say each session takes about an hour and a half only because I sit and chat with my guests for about 30 minutes. And then we record, I record all the way up to an hour, which I know is kind of long for a podcast, but I don't care. And then, yeah, I upload my materials to the drive, my, my raw files. And then I have a local guy here who edits, edits for me. I've also hired somebody to help me on the social media side of it to get, you know, the cover art done and post it because yeah, that's time consuming. How do you actually promote them? Uh, through our, uh, through the social media platforms of my two businesses. So we have Elay's Medical Spas and we have the National Institute of Medical Aesthetics, NEMA. So it's Elay Spas and uh, NEMA now are Instagram hashtags or sites. And we promote them through those sites. Um, we do have uh, an Instagram page called Simply Amazing Podcast, but I will be honest, that is not where I've put my focus so far. So it's a little bit bland. That's my next kind of effort is to make that social media presence match what we're doing on the podcast. But primarily we have big pages built up through our businesses and we use those to promote them. And do you repurpose the content in any way? Uh, no, but that's a good idea. I should. <laughs> like I said, we've got scripts and <laughs> I know there are so many things you can do with a podcast as far as recording and putting it on social media or transcripting and blogging, you know, taking your transcripts and making a blog. And all of them are brilliant ways to grow your podcast. And to be honest, I have not been able to get there yet. I've got enough time to record them. I haven't found enough time in my life to actually really do a, a top-notch job, job of growing it. So, Well, that's the beauty of being the CEO. You can just tell someone else to do it. Yeah, I know. You just hire someone and be like, do you know how to do this? Okay, do it. <laughs> so tell me, how did it fit into, I, I know we talked about it as being kind of a quasi-marketing thing, but how does mm -hmm. it? Fit in how does it really fit into the rest of your marketing how does it fit into my marketing well it's definitely something that we do market i mean it's on our website it's on our social media quite a bit um i think the way it, with our marketing we are at a point in our in the life cycle of our business where like i said we've been here 16 years um we are the largest player in utah by far um we're ahead. actually one of how many clinics do you have we have four clinics mm -hmm. and we're actually one of the largest players on the national, the national scene. So we, Jen, we always for the, probably the last seven or eight years fall within the top three Allergan accounts. You're familiar with Allergan. So we have a very, very large practice, which puts us in a great position with our marketing because we can shift away a little bit from having to be educating on Botox or having to price match or really have our promotions focus on pricing 
to where we feel confident that we can now shift our messaging into more of that empowerment message. Um, we're not worried. Well, I shouldn't say we're not worried about growing our practice. We're always focused on growth for sure, but um, we have a very loyal follow following at this point and we're not scrambling. So you, so you can do deeper work with them essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And so this, this podcast, it's definitely a piece of everything we message, but it really, really helps support that message. We're trying to get out of the reason you want to choose Elay's medical spas is because you will enjoy and appreciate and be built up from the experience that you have with us, along with obviously getting quality services. So I'm interested that you said that you feel you're at the stage where you can do that. Um, mm -hmm. Do you feel that that you really do have to be at a certain stage in the business in order to have that kind of shift? Or do you think that's something that clinics can do from much earlier on, really? I think you should incorporate it from the very beginning. If, you know, in my opinion, I think whatever your brand is going to be, whether you're going to be flashy or, you know, whatever you want your brand to be trendy, flashy, sexy, you know, that's not at all what we are, but I think your brand needs to come across from day one. Um, but as far as how much of your marketing real estate gets dedicated to that in, in just pure messaging, as opposed to coupling it with pricing strategy, coupling it with promotions and events, um, I, I do believe you need to have a strong audience before you, before you make a mark shift, shift away from constantly having discounts, constantly having events, constantly trying to tag your friend, you know, that, that type of more traditional marketing, it takes, I would think a little bit of a volume before you can move away from that wholesale. I mean, I think it would be good if clinics right from the start had some kind of position. What you're really talking about is positioning. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. And actually what you're talking about is absolutely crucial to differentiate in a really totally. crowded market. So it would totally. make everything they do more powerful if they really had that messaging. What we find is that too few clinics are thinking about these kinds of, mm -hmm. how do we really differentiate ourselves? And the empowering women is, you know, when it really is carried through everything that you do is an amazing example of that. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, too, I think that too few people lose sight of that they they all or they just don't know enough about marketing to to really do that yeah and i think when people are new to this space say you know you're starting a new medical spa or your doctor that's bringing it on whatever that is um if you're new to it you still see it as purely about physical beauty i think that's a very old message but it's probably the first place your mind goes when you think okay well i'm selling botox i should probably put up pictures of pretty people with smooth skin in reality, I don't personally think that that's what women are going to relate to as much. Um, but back to your point, yeah, absolutely. Whatever your brand, brand is, however you are going to differentiate, and I agree, if you don't differentiate, you're not going to grow. You have to differentiate. And that is very challenging because this is an extremely crowded market these days. Um, but whatever your brand is, you need to make sure that you communicate that from day one. But you've done something very clever because really you've gone to the heart of what the women that you want to target are yeah. actually interested in and will relate to and understanding their deeper motivations for getting beauty yeah. treatments essentially mm -hmm. um, because emp empowerment is actually a large reason why people do come in to get their botox um you know and all kinds of uh, and all kinds of other treatments so you are able to talk to them at a deeper level yeah. It, it, and, and that is, I mean, that's what it's all about. And I, it takes a minute to realize that it takes uh, what experiencing it with your clients, talking to your clients, hearing stories from your staff to really believe that that is what motivates women. It's, 
you know, you said that that started off with a, a tagline for a specific campaign. How did the whole thing come about? Um, I can't remember why we had the idea necessarily, but what, well, I think it was just me, myself, my marketing director stopping and saying, Hey, you know what? We hear a lot of cool stories, like a lot of really cool stories about how our services impact people. Let's share those. And so what we did was we brought in 10, 15 people and just interviewed them. And it started out as an interview series. We put their faces on billboards and we used that campaign of empowering you. Um, and then, you know, it was so powerful and so impactful for me from that point forward, I really was focused on how do we make sure that in everything we do, we somehow get that message out. Now it's not, it wasn't an overnight shift. It wasn't like we did that tagline. And then all of a sudden now we're the empowering company. It takes I think it was a bit of an uphill battle to even get my entire team to believe the fact that that's, that's a, just as strong of a message as Botox $8 a unit or $9 a unit. That's probably what they were used to everywhere that ever worked. Yeah. And so we're, you were used to being able to have those immediate call to actions in our marketing. And I'm not saying you don't do those. We still do those too, but I, I think you get a little nervous that if every single piece I put out doesn't say Botox on sale or hair removal on sale, that somehow people aren't going to respond. And I think the empowering you play, I'll just call it a play or message. It's, it's a long run message. It's a long-term message, right? Because um, it isn't a call to action. It's not like, Hey, come on in here and get empowered. <laughs> you know, it's, it's definitely a long-term message. So we've, we've melded that. Shared. It's, it's really, it's a statement of shared values, isn't it? It is. It is. And, 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 and as powerful that is, that's also not a call to action. Right. So it's been a mix and we've just over the last few years, been able to really make that message stick out. We're, we're launching a new website and this new website is going to be even more heavy on that message. So just before we go to break, one last question about that messaging is, has there been any pushback from women who've said, oh, I don't need you to empower me. You know, I'm empowered already. Has there been any, any pushback like that? No, not at all, because it's definitely not a message of we're going to fix you. It's not that at all. Well, I hope it's not that at all. You know, it's not a message of we're going to fix you. It's more a message of with our services. It's, hey, if you have something that's holding you back, we have a solution. And with the experience, it's just a message of, hey, come on in here and you are going to love being here. You're going to love it. Like we, we originally called it like a girlfriend experience where you come in and you're just hanging out and having fun. And then we've shifted that to, and it's an empowering environment. Like you're going to leave feeling better about yourself than you were when you came in, no matter where you started. So no, no pushback. I think people really, really relate to and resonate with that message. Yeah, and I, and I guess the last thing to say is that I think that in some cases, clinics try to do this, but they, they get it. I think sometimes they do get it wrong because they end up talking about all the ways that women feel bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a way, I can kind of relate to that because you want to appeal to people's emotions and yeah. they, you know, people come in at the end of the day for treatment because there is something about themselves that they, that they don't like or that they, mm-hmm. you know, or, or, or whatever. Um, and so it's kind of really easy to, to, to actually get that impact, to actually disempower people in the way. Yeah. It, the beauty industry in general can be very manipulative, very manipulative. It can take advantage of women's insecurities. And so you're right. You have to be very careful that it's a sincere message and that it isn't manipulative. 
Okay, so we're going to take a break right now. When we come back, um, we're going to talk to you about your own journey as you are clearly an empowered woman. Um, we'll talk about how you got there and also dive in a little bit more into how you built up um, your, your chain of clinics. So we'll be back in a second. Hey, it's Miriam here again. And during this break, I have a quick question for you. How easy are you finding it to market to your patients now that your clinic is reopened after lockdown? Lots of practice owners are struggling. They're not sure what to say to patients in this new normal. People are still recovering from the shock and the trauma of quarantine. Many have lost jobs and income. Sending the same old blunt promotions just doesn't feel appropriate anymore. You might be operating with a smaller team and a smaller marketing budget. And reopening your clinic is so much work, you don't even have the headspace to focus on marketing right now. If you can relate, let me introduce you to Inbox Express. That's our library of marketing emails written specifically for aesthetic clinics and med spas just like yours. They're designed to make your marketing to your patient database as easy, as quick, and as effective as possible. So you can get patients back through your doors again and again, even in these difficult times. All you need to do to get these emails working for your clinic or med spa is to fill in a few blanks, upload them to your marketing platform and hit send. You don't have to worry about messaging because it's all done for you. Each template takes an average of one to two minutes to customize, making your marketing more manageable during this pressured time. To find out more, visit inbox-express.com. That's inbox-express.com. I'll include the address in the show notes so just take a quick look in a text under the podcast and you'll find it there. Now back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. Um, I'm here with, um, with Carrie Brinton talking about her podcast and also how she built up her uh, chain of clinics in Utah. Um, Carrie, I want to understand a little bit about where you came from. Well, what's, your back, what's your own background? So prior to being part of the beauty industry, my background was all in corporate America. So I have been uh, an executive trainer, training on business soft skills. I was a consultant with a couple of um, large, large corporate America consulting companies. And I did that for probably 15 years um, before we got into this. My husband, who runs these with me, is a corporate attorney. So we both kind of came from nothing related to beauty at all, all about business and a lot of like corporate America experience, to be honest. So how did you get interested in the beauty side? <laughs> well, you know, the way we got into this business was actually a total fluke. My father-in-law um, was a physician and he had purchased probably two of the first hair removal lasers in Utah ever, probably one of the few, few back in 99. And he had leased one of those out to another physician and one Sunday afternoon, we're having dinner at my in-laws with all of the family members. And my father-in-law says, hey, this other doctor doesn't want this hair removal laser anymore. He doesn't know how to make money off of it. He wants to give it back to me. What am I going to do with it? I don't have enough patience to make money off of it. So I think he turned to my husband and maybe my brother-in-law, I don't know, and said, hey, can you guys hook up the trailer and go grab this? And what am I going to do with it? And on the way home and that night, I mean, you have to... You, you have to realize my husband was a new attorney at the time. He'd been working for about three, four years. So very, very busy, 60 hours Probably a week. Probably not sent a hair removal either. <laughs> no, no. I had a three-year-old, a one-year-old, and I was 
probably at that moment, like four months pregnant with our third child. So not really an opportune time to start a business. Um, I had had one facial in my life that my husband gave me for Valentine's day. Didn't know the first thing about beauty, makeup, style, nothing, nothing. And to be honest, it wasn't much of a market back in 2004. It was still something that physicians did in the back office. You know, there was no such thing as a medical spa that that was barely even a term. Um, so anyway, we just thought, you know what, we've always wanted to own a business. It's been the goal for both of us. Neither of us love corporate America. Um, what do you think we can do with this? My sister-in-law and her to be able to see back in 2004 that it could turn into something, I think. Yeah. And I think back then the idea that we had that we thought was revolutionary was just, uh, I think our first tagline was medical service spa or no medical results, spa experience or spa experience, medical results. And so we thought, Hey, what if we take this service that's primarily reserved for physicians and we stick it in a spa setting? So you, and you, you reinvented the med spa a few years after <laughs> Dr. Katz, actually, who's, who's also been a guest on the podcast. Generally, okay. <laughs> yeah, he brought, yeah, I don't think we were the first, but it was definitely a new concept for sure. My sister-in-law, I think, had the same kind of conversation with her husband. Eventually, we decided together that we were going to start it. Um, I had no, no idea what we were doing, but there wasn't a lot of competition back then. So we were very fortunate in that we had a bit of a ramp to bumble around and figure it out. Um, so we started. Presumably you had the patients from your father-in-law's. Um, yes. So, so you know, um, your first patients came from? No, actually we started completely separate from him. Eventually he, re he rebranded his practices and he lays, and you know, that's a whole other podcast about working with family and, and the joys there. <laughs> but um you know, he's no longer in the business. My sister-in-law's no longer in the business. Um, my husband and I kind of stuck with it and built it from one or two, you know, into what it is today. So um, we kind of started independent, but yeah, I think he, you know, his presence definitely gave us a bump. Um, that relationship with a physician definitely gave us a bump. You know, he was our first medical director. So some of the hurdles in place definitely were taken care of for us when we got started. So you came from this corporate background. So what were the biggest lessons that you, that's a massive advantage, definitely. So yeah. what's the, what are the biggest lessons that you brought with you from the corporate world that really made a difference to you being able to scale your business? Such a great question. And I love answering this question because I agree with you. It is a massive advantage to not come from the beauty industry because a lot of these businesses or medical run, industry, actually your medical. Yeah. You know, sometimes as a technician, you don't have the, the business savvy to make it super successful. Uh, biggest advantage, I think for me personally, was that working in corporate America, you learn the value of quality product. You know, if you're working, I mean, one of my clients was the IRS, for example, they're not going to take me being late on a deadline. They're not okay with that. And if I promise that I'm going to deliver a solution, it better be a full-blown high quality solution when you're presenting it to the commissioner of the IRS, which we had to do sometimes. So I, I think just, first of all. just the standard of work and the work ethic and the idea that you know, for me working in corporate America, a 50 hour week was nothing. That was just normal. And traveling five days a week was normal. And so to have that experience before you jump into an entrepreneurship experience where, you know, you're working that those that workload and you're making nothing, I think that can be extremely overwhelming for people. And, and I think having that work ethic, my husband as well, you know, as an attorney, you work 
monster hours and you don't make a lot of money in the beginning. And so we were already used to being super poor and we were already used to working monster insane hours and sacrificing everything. And so for us, it was like, great, we're doing the same thing, but now we're benefiting ourselves. You know, it's going to be our thing that we're growing. So they so had the determination and the resilience actually to get through yeah. the difficult first years of launching a business. Yeah. Resilience, I think is so huge. I'm glad you said that word because that is a big piece of it. Like it can be so overwhelming for people to realize you have to work endless. You don't get to separate your business and your personal life and everybody else has to get paid before you do. And that can take a long time, years, years. And I think that's why a lot of things, one of the reasons that businesses fail is people's just are not willing to sacrifice that much, that long to get what they want. Oh, very often they just don't have the resources to do it. Yeah. So often we yeah. there's, there's not enough planning. Yeah. To nurses, they're kind of doing it on the side. And the reality mm-hmm. is they actually can't sustain a full-time business. Yeah. They're not getting paid very much. And I think that's, yeah. there's too many, the, the barrier for, for entry, it probably has changed during COVID, but essentially the barrier for entry is very low. And so sometimes it draws people who cannot turn it into a real business. Yeah. And I think it draws technicians, right? I mean, one of my favorite books is E-Myth or E-Myth Revisited, where it talks about the difference between technician, manager, and entrepreneur. And um, I think this industry draws a lot of technicians in thinking that they are a good manager or that they're an entrepreneur. And, you know, if you don't bring in the right people with the right skill set, it's going to be really hard to compete in this extremely saturated, extremely competitive, and extremely price sensitive industry at this point. So if you are a technician, um, essentially, if you are a doctor, a nurse trying to get into this industry, um, but really you need the business skills, what's your advice for them? Is it bring in the right people or don't do it? Well, what's your advice? <laughs> Let's see, my selfish advice would be don't do it. <laughs> no, anyway. <laughs> anywhere in Utah because we're already full. Um, Now, I I guess I think my advice would be partner. I think sit down and recognize what your skill sets are. Um, Be very candid and honest with yourself. Do you know spreadsheets? Do you know P&Ls? Do you understand cash flow? Um, Are you good at training and managing people? Or is that something you would rather be in the room working with the client? Um, So I think be very, very honest with yourself about what your skill sets are and what they are not. And when you recognize what they are not, be very conscientious about hiring somebody, whether it's a partner or just a, you know, a well-compensated team member, um, hiring somebody that has the skills that you're missing. And then you have to trust them to be able to do what they're good at rather than um, maybe micromanaging them. You know, I, th- I think sometimes people get in and think, well, I'm the owner. I should be able to say everything, do everything, be in charge of everything, even when they're not good at the things they're trying to do. So that brings me neatly to something that I, that I, that I think you've talked about before with my partner, Danny, um, which is about the consultation. So you do not have technicians do the consultations. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. So who, who does them and why is that such a big thing for you? So I will say in the early days, we tried to have technicians do the consultation. And then um, what we found is that generally speaking in this industry, you get into it as a technician because you love helping people. And that can tend to be at odds with the idea of, I'll say selling people, you know, I put that in quotes because we try not to sell people, but you know what I'm trying to get at. And that can be at odds with the financial side of this business. 
And, um, and so we, we stepped back from that and said, you know, this isn't really working. We're not getting the tickets that we want that we feel like we should be getting. And so we brought in, um, kind of on a trial basis, someone that wasn't necessarily a professional salesman by any means, but was somebody that had those skill sets and that was not a technician, was not an esthetician, was not a nurse or a doctor and put them in the room to do the consultations. And what we found is that you can train those people um, enough in the clinical side, that they can cover the key critical points um, and they can credential the technician that will be seeing them next or to provide the treatment but they're just a lot more comfortable in that consult slash sales role. Um, we also found that clients do so much better when within our clinic, the roles are specialized. So when they know who, what person is in charge of the customer service consult sales portion of their experience versus the person that is going to be providing the actual service, it's more comfortable for them. They don't feel like they're getting sold while they're getting a treatment, you know? Right, because also, also I think that a recurring theme that we always hear is that um, the technicians, the, the doctors, the nurses, the estheticians are not necessarily as comfortable selling no. because they've been essentially trained not to. Yes, yes. Um, and so, so dividing those roles, as you say, is better for sales. Yeah, I, especially the medical staff, they have they have literally been trained not to, I, you know, we have a school, NEMA is our school and we spend, it's an aesthetics training program. And we spent quite a bit of time trying to teach our estheticians this skill of the retail world, because we are realizing that, you know, that is the world estheticians need to be in. So we try and do that, but yeah, by and large, I think they're very different personality types that thrive in providing the service versus thrive in setting and working towards financial goals. So do I understand correctly that, um, that you, you bring people in for the consultation on a different occasion to when they get their treatment, which is not uncommon, of course. Yeah. But um, I, I think you said at some point that, there's, that, that so there was some resistance from the patients to that. Is that right? Yeah, and I think there was a resistance from our staff as well when we set the standard of you have to have a consultation on a separate day, you know. Maybe for smaller services, we will let that slide, but for pretty much all of our services, your consultation is a completely separate experience from your treatment. And, and originally, you know, there was a lot of pushback saying, oh, people are going to complain. They don't want to come twice. But what we have found is that people appreciate the fact that you put value on educating them. They appreciate the fact that you put value on giving them an experience that is solely about giving them their options, creating a plan for them and working through that without the stress and hassle of, okay, we got to hurry through this so that we can get to your service. You know, people aren't going to remember pre and post care day of, they're not going to remember what you told them as far as the big plan day of. So we make that consultation an entire experience in and of itself. And it did, it took, I would say, honestly, a, like year, a couple of years, maybe to get. Well, so what are the elements that make it an incredible experience for people? Um, I think, I mean, besides the little touches of, you know, bringing them a diet Coke or a drink or snacks or whatever, you know, we have all that kind of thing, but we have separate consultation rooms. They're beautiful loungy type rooms. We have a computerized analysis that we do if we're talking about skin or wrinkles or anything in that realm. Um, they're meeting with a totally separate person. Um, not just not their technician, that time is dedicated to them. They leave with a written out, uh, skin plan for them plan they have a time then to kind of go through all of the pricing go through the membership options that we have kind of 
it's just a much more relaxed environment for them rather than feeling rushed or even pressured to start that day. So and what you're actually doing also, again, with my marketing hat on, is you're doing yeah. people, you're onboarding them, basically, because they're really getting indoctrinated in the positive mm-hmm. sense um, mm-hmm. with your entire process, organization. Um, it's a much deeper way to bring them in, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that word indoctrinate, indoctrinated is true. Onboarding is a great way to look at it. But yeah, they're getting to experience the company or, or the, the organization, uh, not just the treatment. Because again, I think people really are, they're, they're buying their experience with you. They're not just buying hair removal. You can buy hair removal in a lot of places. Um, they're buying that experience with you. So you need to give them opportunity to see and feel the actual experience. And the other thing that really stood out for me with what you just said is that the resistance came really from the staff, that mm-hmm. it wasn't actually something that the patients had said. It was mm-hmm. in the staff's head. It was them imagining the objections, which actually in reality didn't really exist. And I do yeah. think that happens to us so much that we're scared to try things. Um, and, and, you know, and, and for example, we see it with emailing. Obviously, we're mm-hmm. email marketers, and I hear so much um, clinic owners saying, I'm scared. I, I don't want to email people too often because, you know, it'll be too much for them. And that's entirely in their heads. It, mm-hmm. it very rarely is really too much for the patients, but it's their own fears, which is stopping them from doing something valuable. Um, and that's essentially what you're, what you're describing here as well. Yeah. And that's why I, I, I mentioned way earlier when we were chatting that I think our investment has always had to be, no matter what we're talking about, it has to go to your team first. So making them believe in your message and believe in your purpose first is super, super, I, I mean, I don't even say it's critical. It's like the only thing. It's the only way to do things. So you know, how, how do you actually onboard your own staff and, and indoctrinate them in that way? Yeah. So we have a culture that you talked about. We have a huge, I mean, a huge investment in training. So we have a corporate training uh, director and her entire job is onboarding for one. And then we create what we call an empowerment plan for our employees. And so in your first year, you have a, a schedule of trainings that you go through in your second year, you have a schedule of trainings that you go through. And those are, um, separate from clinical. So we have a whole realm of clinical and quality control trainings that we do, but separate from that, we have these empowerment trainings and it's communication skills. It's interpersonal skills. It's, um, you know, understanding your why behind why you're in this industry, it's management skills, time management skills. So things that really are totally completely separate from the clinical skills of an esthetician or a nurse. Um, but we invest a ton of time in those, Um, And that is what really helps us, you know, obviously in all those trainings, we're reiterating our message of what's our motto, what are our, um, our guiding principles that we operate by in this business. And so we have to reiterate that over and over and over. So we had to make that investment in a trainer because we realized like getting it out there in bits and pieces is ineffective because then you might have a technician here or there that isn't, it isn't sharing that message with clients and you want to make sure it gets to every client. So we have to first make sure it gets to every team member. So it's a and big those skills, those skills that you're teaching them are genuinely empowering. Right? Mm-hmm. I would imagine that you have a very high retention rate because people probably yeah. really feel that you're investing in their careers when they have to go through all of this. We do. And we kind of tell them we do have a good reten- a very high retention rate, but we, we, and we tell people, our goal with you is to make you a better person while you're here. So if you stay with us for a year or if you stay with us for 15 years, whenever you leave us, 
Um, we hope that you feel like you are a better, more empowered, more capable person for the next role in your life. So and generally um, empowering the staff. Yeah, we want them to feel like we're making an investment in them. And, you know, we make that in training. We have, uh, you know, we have life coaches on retainer where people, a lot of our staff, when they're going through some struggle, when we can see that it's impacting them in the work environment, um, or even just really personally, but, you know, we'll make an investment to send them to that life coach for a few sessions to see if we can get them unstuck. Um, we do a lot of personal investments with our employees when they're having struggles. So um, it is, it's a commitment of time, money, and emotions to make sure that you really, really believe in that culture. Perry, um, two questions before, before we end. Number one, you've talked a lot about some amazing things that you've done um, and how you've really managed to um, create a very, very, uh, really an, an organization, a, a, a company with a very strong sense of purpose, it seems to me. Mm-hmm. But what would you have done differently? Looking back, you've been in this business now for 16 years. What is one big thing that with hindsight you would have done differently? Oh, geez. <laughs> It's hard to even put that on one. I think, okay, let me give you a a general answer, but I think what I would do differently is be smarter about partnerships. And I'm not saying we chose the wrong people to partner with by no means. I think being clear about roles and responsibilities when you're partnering with people, I think is if I look back at um, the biggest partnerships are you talking about? Well, like the biggest mistake I can see in the last 16 years is some relationships that have gone downhill because of the business, Um, you know, family relationships. Like I said, working with family, eh, it's challenging and some relationships that have been damaged. There some, some attempts at a franchise, kind of a pseudo franchise. And I, and if I look at every mistake, it all comes down to a lack of communication in the beginning before you set out on the effort. If that, I don't know if that makes really a lot of sense, but being communicating upfront with what your expectations are from every person. Maybe I can summarize it that way. That avoids so many mistakes, so much wasted time, so many hurt feelings, so many damaged relationships. If you can just communicate upfront what your expectations are from everybody. Which is really what you do with patients with the consultation. Yeah. So it's taking yeah. that idea and, uh, and, set, and setting expectations in all relationships, not just with the patients. Yeah, you're, you're right. It is. It's how we run our business externally. So making sure that you run it the same way internally, I guess. Well, I would love to talk to you another occasion about family relationships, because obviously that's a really big thing um, in this industry. There's lots of them. We have had yeah. a father and daughter that we once interviewed, um, but there's so many married couples and yeah. brothers it's and, law, and it is it is definitely contentious. Um, yes. But let me ask you the last question, um, which is what's coming up? What's in the future? What are the big things that you're working on? Uh, I think at this point, we're really going to start focusing on more expansion. Um, we've we've got four clinics, but, we've, but it's been a fairly slow grow as far as opening those clinics. Um, and we've kind of had a focus of we need to be feel confident that we're 100% systematized before we grow. And we feel like we're at that point. So we'll probably embark on a faster expansion track now. Um, and just grow it a little bit bigger. So you've perfected the model and now it's on. Yeah. 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 We've perfected it. And we've been very, very careful. We didn't want to grow too fast. Our lifestyle is very important to us. Our personal lifestyle, our culture is extremely important to us. The quality that we produce is extremely important to us. So we didn't want to grow and jeopardize any of those. 
Uh, I think we're at a point where we feel confident that we could grow a little quicker than we have and still maintain all of those things. So that's probably where we're at is just opening a handful more clinics and expanding. Have outside you been affected that at all? Those plans? Because obviously lots of clinics now feel held back. Is that, is that yeah. what you're thinking about or not? Um, I, I don't think so. What we've seen, we did shut down, like I'm sure everyone else did. We were shut down for a couple of months. What we've seen though, is that our numbers our, our monthly sales numbers, once we reopened, are still we're still experiencing the same growth levels that we would have experienced these months in 2019. So we're still seeing year over year growth. Um, we've made up what we lost in those two months. Um, so we're overall, we're a little bit ahead of where we were 2019, which I think is amazing considering that we were closed for two months. So uh, at least right now, I've finally learned that like, you can't predict 2020. So who knows, <laughs> who knows, but based on what things look and feel like right now, I feel like we're going to be able to keep going. I mean, it's a great time to buy real estate and, and construction. So on that end of growth, it's actually a good time to do it. And right now the market looks like it's staying strong. And, and as we know, you know, this is a fairly recession proof industry. Fairly. Is it fairly? So I think it's something that's going to keep going. So what everyone says is it's true as an industry. It's not always true for individual clinics. I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And I, yeah, you have to be at a certain level to be above the fray for sure. Yeah. Okay. So first of all, thank you very much for that really, really insightful, fascinating interview. If people want to um, get in touch with you, how do they do that? Uh, let's see. There's a lot of ways. <laughs> Uh, you can check out our businesses on Instagram. It's at Elaze, E-L-A-S-E spas and at Nima now. So it's N-I-M-A-N-O-W. Those are our two Instagrams. Those will have all of our contact information for our businesses. Um, my personal Instagram is just at Carrie Brinton. I don't do a lot of business promotion. It's just me and my family, but if you want to get to know me as a person, I'm there. Um, and Yes. And then my podcast is She's Simply Amazing. You can find it on any podcast platform. And the Instagram is Simply Amazing Podcast. Um, and you can reach me any of there and you can DM, DM me. We do offer a lot of consulting services. So if you're interested, um, I'm more than happy. Just uh, probably the fastest way is to send me a message and then we can um, provide more personal contact information from there. Fantastic. And of course, we'll put all those details in the show notes at the bottom. So anyone who's listening to this, um, just pop. Um, below the the, uh, the podcast and all those all those links will be there. Um, Carrie, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pl- absolute pleasure. Thank you. It's been really fun. And for everyone else, I will see you on the next episode of How I Scaled My Aesthetic Clinic. Have a great day. I'm Miriam Shaviv from Brainstorm Digital. Bye.